Ladies, this is what you've been waiting for. The sermon is entitled, Husbands, It's Our Turn, because we have been studying Colossians. And two weeks ago, we zeroed in on verse 18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then last week, we did Isaiah 6, and some of the ladies were a little nervous. They said, are you going to do verse 19? No. So we're going to move into, no, we are. We're going to do verse 19, okay, which is husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let me pray. Lord, as we look at your word, we need your Holy Spirit, uh, not only to give us understanding, but to give us the ability uh, to live your word out. So Holy Spirit, do your work amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So John's gospel, John 21, ends with Jesus appearing to the apostles on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus and Peter have a conversation. Jesus forgives uh, Peter for denying him, and he restores him. And then they're walking down the seashore, and Jesus lets Peter know how he's going to die. He says that uh, when you are older, they will stretch out your arm. A veiled reference to crucifixion. And we know from church history that Peter did die by crucifixion. But as they're walking down the beach, Peter is thinking, hey, there's John following us. What about him? So here's what it says. When Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? You know, if I'm going to die this way, what about this guy? Right? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I almost picture Jesus here with a kind of a New York accent. What's it to you, right? <laughs> you keep your eyes on, on your path. Don't you worry about John, Okay. <laughs> Right? To talk to some Christian men, you would think that the passage we just read goes this way. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, keep her in line by constantly reminding her that you're the God-ordained head of the family. In other words... Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, continually flash the headship badge and remind your wife and your kids that you're the head of the family. Now, I believe marriage needs to be built on the assumption that the husband is appointed by God to be the head. But something is terribly wrong when a man needs to constantly be flashing the headship badge, right? You know what it reminds me of? It, it smacks of Barney Fife to me. 
whose only authority was his badge. Compared to Andy, you know, who had a badge, but he also had relationships with people in Mayberry, with Floyd the Barber and Aunt B. And, you know, he was respected not just for the badge, not just because he had the title, but because he loved people. Right? So, husbands, yes, we have the authority to lead. But here, the focus is on how we are to lead. Not by flipping the authority badge all the time with harshness. In fact, it specifically says, and do not be harsh with them, but we're to lead by loving our wives. Right? Um, we're to lead, according to the parallel passage in Ephesians 5, by loving them the way Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Well, he died for us. Right? Now, some men might think, all right, honey, if I ever get that opportunity, I'll die for you. Meanwhile, get me a beer. Right? In other words, if I'm ever called for that ultimate sacrifice, I'll do it. But remember... When, when we're called to die, when we're called to take up our cross, Jesus says, take up your cross daily. So here's what I want to do, kind of a, an interesting approach. I want to uh, look at Jesus' interaction with a bunch of different women. Okay, Not that they're his wives, I know, but just men, let's look at how Jesus interacted with women and see if we can learn something uh, about how to treat uh, our wives in particular and women in general, okay? So let's, uh, let's first take a look at this well-known story of Mary, Mary and Martha and uh, the, the, the message that I want us to, to get and to see is how compassionate Jesus is with Martha. Okay, so here's the story. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her than to help me. So she's not only upset with her good-for-nothing sister Mary, who's just sitting there, she's telling Jesus what to do. You tell her to help me. Now, Jesus' response is this. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay. Now, he is correcting Martha. You want me to make a call here, Jesus says? Mary's chosen the right choice. You're worried, you're upset, and this is not going to be taken away from her. So he... he 
chooses a side. But how does he do it? Can't you just hear Martha, Martha? Right? He's compassionate even in his correction. You know, um, I went to seminary, which is graduate school, where they teach you Greek and Hebrew and theology and everything, and then you get a job as a pastor. And my first job was an associate pastor in a town called Clintonville, Wisconsin. And so one day you go from being a student to the next day you're a pastor. And they had the welcome potluck for us, and we moved into a house and had a big celebration. And then one day the phone rang, and there was a lady in the church. Um, She was, I was going to say an older lady, but back then I was in my 20s, so older. She's probably younger than I am now, okay? (laughs) But um, she'd been through a divorce, and she called, and she was just very upset, and she said, Pastor Brian, um, I, I did something, and I don't even remember what it was she did, but she says, I think the Lord is very upset with me. What would you say? I'm like, and teach me this in seminary, what to do about this, right? And this is where I, I quickly prayed, Lord, what, what, how can I help this lady? And um, this, this story came to mind, and I'm not claiming to be a prophet. Um, I do think the Holy Spirit does bring verses to mind, though. And as I talked to her, I said, you know, I, I just think of the passage where Jesus said to Martha, 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 with compassion. And she, she said, thank you, thank you so much. Oh, I needed to hear that. Thank you. And that was the end of the phone. It was like 30 seconds. I'm like, wow, this is pretty easy. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know. um, she'd been through a rough life. She had a view of God that he was wrathful. And this interaction between Jesus and Martha gave her a, uh, maybe, maybe she knew about it, but it reminded her of the compassion of the Lord, even when we mess up, right? Um, gentlemen, do you treat your spouse with compassion? So here's an here's a exercise that you can do this week. Just as you're shaving, as you're driving, as you're walking the dog, chasing the neighbor's dog, whatever you're doing, okay, could you just repeat this little phrase, Martha, 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 and remind yourself of Christ's compassion toward Martha and ask him to give you that same compassion as you interact with your wife. Right? Now, um, I think there's, there's a lot more going on here. So let's, let's make sure we learn that lesson. Okay? Um, 
But let me zero in on, on something that you may have missed in this passage before. You know, usually when this passage gets uh, taught, like if you go to a uh, ladies, how, how many women's events have you been to where this was the passage, right? And the message is we need to be more calm like Mary and not so frantic like Martha. That's probably a good point. Yep, okay. Um, or the other point is Mary sat quietly at Jesus' feet. You need to make time to have a quiet time with Jesus. Okay, that's a good point. But do you realize what's going on here? Jesus is making a revolutionary countercultural statement. Right? How were women, most women, viewed back in the first century? Here's a, uh, a quote from William Lane Craig about Women. Women were on a very low rung of the uh, social ladder in the first century Palestine. There are old rabbinical sayings that said, let the words of the law be burned rather than be delivered to women. And blessed is he whose children are male, but woe to him whose children are female. Now, this first one, let the words of the law be burned rather than be delivered to a woman. Male rabbis had male followers. The women were disregarded. Learning the Bible was for the men. Martha is saying, come on, Mary, Get in the kitchen. The men are talking. Let's get in our place. And Mary says, I want to hear Jesus. And Jesus says, come and join the group. He's treating her as a human. He's treating her as a disciple. Not an apostle. Let's not... Let's not do the whole topsy-turvy thing here, but come and learn. This was a huge countercultural move. It was revolutionary. Now, the question always arises, if Mary has chosen what's right, in other words, to sit there at the, the, the feet of Jesus, and if Martha is being invited to do that, I can imagine one of the apostles going, Who's going to cook the meal? Wouldn't it be funny if Jesus said, Peter, you are. Go. Lesson. Jesus is elevating the respect and the dignity that women should have had, but that culture did not give them. And Personal application, Jesus is compassionate with Martha, even when she's wrong. Okay? That's the first thing, first interaction that Jesus has with Mary and Martha. Let's move on to a second interaction. Woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And the thing I want you to see here is his protection of a woman. Now, it's always obligatory before you mention John uh, chapter 8, this section, to point out uh, 
that this was probably, this paragraph was probably not in John's original gospel. Um, In fact, if you look at your study Bibles, it'll say, uh, the earliest manuscripts do not include verse 753 through 811. So uh, what most commentators will tell you is this. While this may have not been a part of John's original gospel, it probably was a, an event that actually happened and was passed down orally, and at some point a scribe added it. Um, so we, we need to just be very honest and say this is not inspired scripture. Okay, um, I should say this. It might be. We're, we're pretty sure it's not. But it's included because it smacks of the character of Jesus, and it probably did happen, okay? So having said that, let's take a look uh, at what it says. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, I don't think I'm the first one to point out that isn't it interesting that they brought the woman, but where's the guy? Right? Um, If she was caught in the act of adultery, so was he. So, you wonder, was this a setup? There's at least a double standard going on here. Verse 5, Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So, what do you say? Now, um, I think sometimes we get the picture that the Pharisees and the scribes were just these vicious men standing there with rocks just wanting to kill a woman. Okay. Um, look at verse 6. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. So their hatred was for Jesus. They're setting him up to hook him on the horns of a dilemma. However he answers here, uh, they want to catch him. She is just a dispensable pawn in this whole thing. She's just a woman. So I, I, I don't think they intended to stone her. They intended to trap Jesus. Now, if Mr. Compassionate Jesus... If he says, yeah, go ahead and stone her, there goes his reputation as being compassionate, and it gets him in trouble with Rome because capital punishment had to go through Rome. Remember his own crucifixion? They had to go through Pilate to, uh, to crucify him. So if he says, yep, go ahead, stone her, now he's in trouble. If, on the other hand, he says, no, no, don't stone her, oh, you're not a follower of the Bible, of Moses? Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. 
the only record we have of Jesus writing anything. He bends down and he starts writing in the dust and the ground. Now, there's all kinds of speculation. What did he write? Was he writing the Ten Commandments? Some people have said he was writing the names of the girlfriends of the Pharisees around him. But I've always thought that that's the wrong question. Not what did he write, but why did he write? Compassion. Here is this woman caught in the very act of adultery, and I think he sees her shame and her repentance. So instead of looking at her like everybody else was, he looks away and he writes on the ground. Mercy. He's not adding to her condemnation. Verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Okay? Now, here's what he's not saying. I don't think he's saying, forget the Mosaic law, because they're still under the Mosaic law until the new covenant comes, which is sealed at the cross. So they're still technically under the Mosaic law. I think he is foreshadowing a change from one covenant to another. But he, I, I, he says, go ahead and stone her. Yep, the law says that. But he says, he of you who is without sin. Now, Be careful, don't take that to mean, well, we can never make a judgment about anyone ever about their sin. Well, what do you do with the whole church discipline concept? Where if someone sins, you're to go to them and hope, point out their sin with the hope of them repenting. And if they don't, you go tell others and bring them and then you tell the church. And so so you can't use this to say, well, whoever's without sin, you must be sinless before you ever hold anybody accountable. It can't be saying that. What's he doing? I think he's calling them out on their hypocrisy. Being omniscient, he knows their sexual sins. Go ahead, stoner. As long as you're not a hypocrite, guilty of the same sin. What's the response? But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Why? Because they had more sin. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now remember, I I think he sees her heart. He sees a repentant woman. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, and by the way, that is not a derogatory term. That's how Jesus even addressed his own mother. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So he he doesn't shy away from the sin. He calls her to repentance, but he doesn't condemn her. And he actually protects her. 
right? Now, major lesson here, the, the major thing I think we're to get out of this, is not that we're never to hold each other accountable. I think he is foreshadowing a change from the old covenant where if you committed adultery, whether you repented or not, you were to be stoned. In the new covenant, when you commit adultery, others call you to repentance and you're to be forgiven and restored. Right? But in the midst of this whole thing, what does Jesus do? He protects her. He protects her from the stones, and he protects her from shame, and he protects her from being used. Husbands, are you your wife's protector? And that's in the text. Paul says, love your wife and don't be harsh. I was talking with a, a woman the other day, not in this church, all right, so you're, <laughs> none of you, all right, <laughs> talking with a woman the other day about another woman she knew who's in a harsh marriage. And this woman started to cry. And I said, uh, you're, you're crying for her, for her right? Because I'm really slow. Tears? Oh, no. What do the tears mean? Um, you're crying for her, right? And yeah, that was part of it. But then she said, imagine the husband having to stand before God. And God says, I gave you this precious gift of a beautiful woman to take care of and protect. What did you do with her? And he'll have to say, I destroyed her. Systematically, drip by drip by drip, I destroyed the gift you gave me. And this woman cried. You know, I've mentioned a number of times Doug Wilson wrote a, uh, an open letter to an angry man. I'm not going to read it again, but he, he basically is addressing the men in his church who have abusive uh, language toward their family. And he calls them on the carpet. And then he ends the letter with this. And by the way, some, some guys w w would say, well, I'm not a girly man, you know? Can't expect me to act like a woman. And I would say, are you calling Jesus a woman? Because he's our example. Not Hollywood, not mixed martial arts, cage fighting. Jesus is our example of how to treat women. Right? So um, Douglas Wilson ends his letter with this. You're called to be hard for them, not hard on them. But I'm a tough guy. Yeah, use your toughness to protect her, not to destroy her. Okay. 
third set, I'm going to say just a host of other women. And here we see Jesus just continuing to raise the bar of dignity. Okay? Remember the culture of his day? Dismissed women, treated them as second-class citizens, your servants. Um, you're not included in discipleship. Just serve us. And Jesus continually raises the bar to dignify women. And one way he does this is simply by continually pointing to various women as spiritual examples. Not to the, he, he did use men, but he, he includes tons of women as spiritual examples. So let me give you some examples of his examples. Um, remember in uh, Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So Jesus is saying, let me give you an example here of a seeker who's, who seeks God with all her heart. And he thinks back in the Old Testament to the time of Solomon. Solomon was given wisdom from God, and, and his reputation spread all over the world. And the Queen of Sheba, all the way in the southern part of Saudi Arabia, 1,500 miles away, went to seek after God's truth to hear Solomon. So Jesus says the Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Simple point, the ultimate example of a seeker is a woman. Right? There's the uh, poor widow in Luke 21. There are, uh, he's there with his disciples, and he's by the section of the temple where they had um, the money boxes where you gave to the poor. And the rich were all putting in what they could spare. But along comes this little widow lady with two little copper coins. And Jesus says, hey, guys, guys, watch, watch her. And she puts her two copper coins I can imagine the apostles going, what, what's the big deal about this? And, and Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. You know what she's doing? Remember, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, How are you doing keeping the commandments? It kept them perfectly. And I believe what Jesus is doing is he says, well, let's see how you're doing. How about that first one, to have no other gods before you? Um, let's test that one. Why don't you just uh, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then come follow me? He's like, what? He walks away unsaved. You go, well, who, nobody in the face of the planet could do that. What about her? She did what the rich young ruler couldn't do. 
Um, how could she do it? She lived on trust. We give to the degree that we trust God. We keep to the degree that we don't. She gave it all. Then there's um, Mary Magdalene, and she got mentioned a couple Sundays ago when uh, one scholar said, uh, well, well, we can look to Mary Magdalene to uh, build a case for the ordination of women in the church. Why? Well, she was the first witness of Christ's resurrection, and she was sent to tell the other apostles. And I said, uh, let's not. Let, let's not use this as an example to try to reverse what 1 Timothy 2 clearly says, okay? But while I wouldn't try to build a case for women's ordination on this, I do think a sovereign God could have arranged for anyone to be the first witness of Christ's resurrection, and who does he choose? The Marys. To be the first witnesses. Why? To elevate their dignity. Do you know that women's testimony in a court of law was not accepted because they couldn't be trusted? And Jesus is entrusting to these women being the witnesses, the first witnesses to his resurrection. It's actually a, a, an argument for the truth of the resurrection. If it was made up, why would the gospel writers choose women who wouldn't be accepted uh, in a court of law in that culture? Because it happened. Right? And he's raising the dignity. Woman at the well. Jesus is coming from the north, going south, and they stop in Samaria. Now, Jewish men did not speak with women publicly. Especially rabbis did not speak with women publicly. Especially women who had been married and divorced five times and was currently living with a guy. Not only does Jesus have a private conversation with her, but she believes in him. Right? Now, look what happens here. Just then, his disciples came back. They were off getting food somewhere. They were at McDonald's, and they had the food. Right? They marveled. They were amazed that he was talking with a woman. So amazed that they didn't know what to say. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? What is, what is going on here? Right. So the women left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So, so that's her uh, that's her he evangelistic message. Y'all know my reputation, right? A guy by the well knew all this. Not three husbands, not four husbands, five husbands. 
and he's a prophet, and he might be the Christ. Follow me. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. You know, if if you were to give Bible students a quiz and ask them, who was the first evangelist to the Samaritans? They would go, oh, that's easy, Acts chapter 8, Philip. It's this woman. All right, one more. A Gentile mother. So Jesus goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is no longer in Israel. He's going to Gentile territory. Okay. It says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, I want you to see four insults that Jesus and the apostles give to this Gentile woman who's begging for help. But he did not answer her a word. He talks to other women. He heals other women. Doesn't say a word to this one. Insult number one. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Now, if your kid was possessed by a demon, and you went for help, and the other said, He bothers me. Just send her away. So there's insult number two. For she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You ain't a Jew. You're a Gentile. I got no time for you. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Is he calling her a dog? Yeah. You go, what is going on here? Now, some commentators try and uh, soften this by saying, well, there were mongrel dogs, and this is a cute, fluffy dog. This is like Shelby or whatever, you know. (laughs) No, this is a derogatory term. This is so politically incorrect. He would be blasted in the media today. It's racist. It's anti-woman. What in the world is going on here? Same thing that's going on in Luke chapter 14, where it says, large crowds were following him, So he turned and said, only those of you who are willing to take up your cross can follow me and be my disciple. Only those of you who are willing to hate your mother and father can follow me. He's thinning out the crowds. He's throwing down stumbling blocks to keep just the surface followers 
from following him, but he knows the true followers will keep following him even when he says hard things. Does she keep following him? Well, let me ask you this. Does he know she will keep following him? Yes. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I get what you're doing. Go ahead, call me a dog, but you're still the master. Go ahead, feed the Jewish children first, but I'll take the crumbs. Help me. And now he praises her. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. There's a lot of hard things in Scripture. But blessed are you who when you read something hard, you don't go, I'm done with this Christianity thing. You go, I trust Jesus. He died on the cross. I'll figure it out. It'll make sense someday. But I'm not going to set myself up as judge and throw him away. And she's the example of faith that keeps on trusting. And she's a Gentile woman. So, we could look at, at a bunch more. But bottom line, the culture dishonored women. Jesus gave them the, the dignity they deserved. So husbands, you treat your wife and other women with dignity. Men, do you model that dignity to your sons, so they will treat women with dignity. Do you model that dignity for your daughters so they won't settle for some abusive man? How did Jesus treat them? With compassion, with protection, and with dignity. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, apply this in marriages, in families. May we repent where we need to repent. May we forgive where we need to forgive. And Lord, make the husbands in our church men of compassion, protection, and dignity for their wives. Pray in Jesus' name.